Welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Today's interview is a rerun of a past episode. We do this from time to time so that our newer listeners don't miss out on the gems of helpful information and inspiring stories that have been shared in the past. And we think they're great to listen to again if you've heard them before. And today I'm very excited that we are speaking with Julie Halanga about the topic of the importance of a strong vocabulary. Julie is going to elaborate on why this is so important for relaunchers and the different contexts in which strong language is important. And we can't wait to have that conversation. Julie is a leadership trainer and coach. Her company is Chinook Executive Solutions. And Julie and I go way back because years ago, she was our first employee at iRelaunch before she launched her coaching career. Hi, Julie. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, Carol. It's great to talk to you. Yes, I'm very excited to have this conversation and be talking about this topic of strong vocabulary. Before we get going with some of the specific questions that we have for you, can you just comment more broadly about why you feel strongly about language and strong language and and some of these contexts um, in which it's really important? Sure. So this is what I've noticed, Carol that we go to conferences or we're listening to podcasts or NPR or really any uh, any format where there is someone who has presented themselves as an expert or has been brought in as an expert. And when we use and when they use weak language, what happens is we subconsciously and sometimes consciously stop listening or discount what they're trying to tell us. So that's an, in a broad context, context. I hear people often sitting on a panel will say, you know, I'm not an expert on this, or, you know, I haven't written a book about this, or the person down at the other end of the table knows more about this than I do. And what happens is our audience then starts thinking, well, why is she sitting up there? Or they might not even be conscious of it, but they're going to discount what you're saying. And this happens in one-on-one conversations as well, where if you're in an interview or maybe you're networking with someone, it comes up a lot. You don't need to give your audience any reason not to listen to you. So it's kind of using a qualifier of some kind to discount your expertise one way or the other. Exactly. And does this include those verbal tics, I guess I'll call them, um, like saying like, or um, I don't know, some other kind of, or just, or, um, well, I think exactly. this. So, okay, so, so is it, it's not only, um, is it how you say the, the, and how you deliver the message that you have? in addition to the actual words that you pick? And are there certain words that we're gonna talk about that are kind of the worst offenders in terms of being qualifiers? Exactly, it is. And it's how you present what maybe an opinion or your conviction around something. And I'm gonna give you some great tips of words you're gonna stop using as of today and ones that you can replace them with and words that you can use that are certainly more powerful. But it's also, I've seen, Um, Carol, and I poke in front of you here for your California roots, but I do hear a lot of the 
uh, uptick and where people um, have an uptick uh, at the end of their sentence. So it sounds like a question. That's another way to, to diminish yourself. I also notice this with Canadians being married to a Canadian. Um, I can poke fun of him as well, but they, they, <laughs> they, uh, come down and in their voice so they're talking and then they just sort of lose the volume or they and so it loses the impact and while we're speaking we want people to believe in what we are saying and there are certain things that we do that we may not even be aware of that we get in our own way and that's what I really would love to share with the iRelaunch audience about what they can do and small changes that they can make that will allow them to have a greater impact on whoever they are speaking with. Okay, so now I'm going to be very self-conscious as I'm speaking today during the <laughs> podcast about my tone and inflection and the word choices that I'm making. So maybe we should just launch right into this and Julie, can you list a few of uh, examples or uh, some of this language so people know right off the bat uh, some very practical tips for how they should speak and what words they should choose or avoid? Sure. So you've mentioned a couple of them already. The first one that is one of my biggest pet peeves is apologizing, saying sorry. There are times when you need to apologize. You're late for a meeting or you interrupted someone or uh, perhaps you um, jumped in when you weren't supposed to. But it's not okay to apologize all the time. And what happens is that people then, when you do apologize because you pissed them off or you interrupted them, they, um, they don't hear it. So you don't need to apologize at the start of every sentence by saying, sorry, this may be a dumb question. or Sorry, do you have a second? Just jump in. Do you have a second? I have a question for you. And you just eliminate that word. So that's one of my biggest pet peeves. When we lived in Canada, it was pardon. It's the same thing, no matter what the word is. Um, it's, so, so you don't need to do it. Okay, so pardon and sorry. I wrote that down. So yes. Number, those are yes. number one words to avoid, okay? The next one that I notice a lot of people using unnecessarily is the word just. Carol, I'm sure we are all guilty of this, especially in written form. I'm just checking in to see if you had a chance to review that proposal I sent over. It's, it's again, you're minimizing the impact you're trying to have. You're minimizing that you are an expert and you know what you're doing. And in that example, you have a great product or service to deliver. So instead, if that is, if you are writing someone to ask, did you review the proposal? Start off with that. So, dear Carol, have you had a chance to review the proposal I sent over? You can just eliminate that word. Now, you probably just picked up that I use the word just, but that's in a different context. So <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, I, I know. I, I'm guilty of this. And I actually now go through an exercise after I write an email before I send it. Actually, I look for the justs and I see if they're there and that I take great. them out. 
um, because I've, I've been trying to retrain myself and I'm in the process of doing that. And that is the best way to do it, Carol, is to start with your writing. And then that will have an impact on the words, the spoken words that you use. Okay, good. All right. So I have just sorry and pardon. And then I have just written down and I have a I have a tip for you. There is a Google plugin called just not sorry. And like a spell check. <laughs> I love check, that. Love the name. Yes. Like a like a spell check, it will underline weak words. And they are adding words constantly. Oh. So if you that. have phrased a sentence in a weak way, this is a tool. It only works if you're in Gmail, but uh, it's phenomenal. Huh. Thank you. I've never heard of that before. Love it. Love the idea. Love the name of it. I'm going to... Uh, Make a note of it. We'll, we'll put that out there and I'll say that it was a special recommendation from you, Julie. Thank you. Um, okay. All right. So what's our next word? So the next one is I believe or I think. And this is I often get pushed back when I talk to groups of people about this. And what and I this is one that really bugs me, Carol, because I hear it from experts, from best-selling authors and they say, well, I think that we should do X, Y, and Z. And the impact that that has is that people are expecting that expertise. If you are a service provider, you're a consultant, you're an attorney, you're a CPA, and you say to your clients, I think we should do ABC. What's going through that other person's mind is, do you think or do you know? So again, mm. it shows that you are not, you do not have a strong conviction in your recommendation. I have a, a client, Carol, who is a seasoned attorney. She's phenomenal, very well respected. And she recently shared a story with me that early on in her career, she was still an associate, about a fifth year associate. She sent an email to her client and said, I think we should do this. And the client wrote back to her immediately and said, do you not believe this? What's going on? What do you mean you think? Do you know? And she, and, and she was really thrown from this. And so we talked that through. And I was very pleased to hear that she now, when she is writing that same sentence to a client, she says, I recommend we pursue this course of action, or I am confident that this is the path we should take. I like that language. I recommend we pursue this course of action. Okay, because that's another one. I'm also guilty of that, and I have been working in the same way to get rid of the just. I also have been getting rid of the I thinks, but I do take that moment before I send because it's just, I just, I'm not out of the habit yet. Right. So I have to take the extra step to remove the I thinks and just um, as opposed to them not being there in the first place, but I'll get there. Right, right, and it takes time. It's, this is not something that happens overnight. In, in the same context, the word maybe, maybe we should uh, publish this book next year instead. It doesn't have the same conviction as saying my recommendation is we wait until 2019 to publish the book. You see the difference there. I'm actually writing these down. So. Oh, good. Carol, the last one I would share, and I have many more, but we just have so much time today. 
the last thing I would share that we need to be very conscious of is to stop prefacing. I already gave the example of this, and, and I'm going to say it again because we all do this. Sorry to bother you. Do you have a minute? Or sorry for the interruption. Or I have a dumb question. We don't need that. None of that language is useful, is doing anything in a positive manner. If you have a question, jump in and ask your question. If you want to interrupt someone, knock on the door and say, do you have a second? It's as simple as that. We don't need to preface it because it again, and particularly Carol with women, it puts us in a position that is beneath where we actually are and takes away our intelligence, our any sort of power that we may have. And I don't mean that in the sense of I'm in charge and I'm controlling this situation, but putting our best foot forward and being the most articulate and thoughtful person in order to impact those around us and influence them. So Julie, can we go into some more examples of what words we should start using instead or particular situations, um, anecdotes that you have um, illustrating either poorly used language or ideally used language? Or is are there some other piece of this that you want to make sure that we cover before we get back into that part? Yes. Yeah, so here are some powerful words, Carol, get your pen ready. Okay. Because you can write these ones down as well. So I've alluded to some of this, but to start a sentence by saying, I know, mm -hmm. instead of I believe or I think. Okay. You can say, I am confident that mm -hmm. this is the correct course of action. Mm -hmm. I suggest along that same lines we were talking before about my attorney client, who I recommend, same idea. Uh, I like I recommend. That's good. Yes. One of my favorites is to say I am convinced mm. that in pursuing this action, we will succeed. Because this is the beauty of what happens when we use powerful words. We increase our confidence. It's what ha is happening in the brain. To the same extent when we say, I think, or it's that, that weak language, mm -hmm. we diminish our confidence. When we say words, and I notice this, Carol, with people, when they use powerful language, their body language changes. They sit up taller. They smile. They make eye contact. So it's the whole package that, that comes together. And what I see happening is then people say, hmm. That's a really good idea, Carol. I hadn't thought of it that way because there's what's going on in the brain is we have these mirror neurons that are reflecting that positive feeling and confidence out to our audience and their brain is picking up on it with their mirror neurons and reflecting that positive, confident energy. So, so you're saying there's there are actual chemical changes in the brain that happen when you use this kind of language on both the sending right. and receiving end. Exactly. 
You're listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we talk about strategies, advice, and success stories for returning to work after taking a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO of I Relaunch, and your host for today. And I'm very excited to be speaking with Julie Halanga, who is a leadership trainer and coach, and her company is Chinook Executive Solutions. And Julie and I go way back because she was our very first employee years ago for I Relaunch before she launched her coaching career. And we're deep into a conversation about strong vocabulary and language and words to avoid and words to use instead. So Julie, um, I kind of cut you off there. Um, are there any other uh, uh, specific words that we should be aware of or other anything else we should know about the changes that happen in the delivery when we use this kind of language? Sure. Well, besides what we just talked about in terms of confidence, what I see happening is that conversations flow a lot better, decisions get made, people react well to to you when you use strong language. So one of the things that happens when these mirror neurons are reflecting a lack of confidence or maybe a certain sense of desperation is that they will come away and say I don't I don't know what it was but I don't think Julie's the right fit for us. And they may not be able to pinpoint it. They're not going to certainly come away and say she used really weak language. I, I would be surprised if that happened. On the other hand, I have heard countless stories. We've heard it from the recruiters that we worked with at the return to work conference. People like certain people and they can't always put their finger on it. But when those mirror neurons are reflecting confidence and and a uh, certainty in oneself, they say like, wow, she was great. I really enjoyed meeting with her. And it's just responding to something. It's not that they're saying, oh, she has this experience on her resume. That might be part of it. But it's that human interaction. Carol, I, I'm sure I've shared this story with you. When I worked at Harvard Business School, we interviewed a woman who had been out of the traditional workforce. At that time, it was just under 12 years. She had two kids. They had lived in Paris for a while. She had just returned to Boston. And there was a group of us who interviewed her. And when she walked out, all of us were blown away. And we said, oh, she was fantastic. She's just amazing. The way she spoke, she really knows what she's talking about. But no one had even mentioned that she had this 12-year career break. And that did not come up. She was hired. She has progressed so much since there. Since then, that is uh, almost 12 years ago now that she was brought on, 11 years ago. And she has just risen through the ranks. And what it was that we were responding to was, yes, she was prepared. Yes, she had done her research, but she was articulate. It was her, how she presented herself and what she was putting out there. And it was that at the time I didn't know this, but now I know it was those neurons in my brain responding to what she was putting out there, those mirror neurons. And it was just phenomenal. That's a great story. You know, we advise people um, who are relaunching careers because um, when we're relaunching, we're usually in our 40s or 50s, sometimes even in our 60s. 
And so people get concerned about ageism and we respond that the antidote to ageism is subject matter expertise. So we recommend how, the, how people can find out about experts in their field and, and um, understand what the best resources are in, in terms of websites and blogs to follow and books to read. And then we tell them they have to go ahead and read those blogs and articles and books and listen to the experts and get really up to speed. But the next step after that is communicating the subject matter expertise at a professional conference or in a job interview. And by doing that in an energetic and uh, excited and um, forceful way, not, I don't mean aggressive, but, but just putting out the, the um, information. Number one, you're having conversations that are much more substantive instead of having to make some awkward small talk at some of these events. And number two, you are able to get people to focus more on the substance of what you're talking about as opposed to your age or the length of your career break. And that sounds like um, in part what happened here uh, at that interview with the woman who was out 12 years. But uh, can you talk a little bit about the way you deliver material um, in uh, or the, the way you deliver this language in addition to the words themselves? Right. And that's a very good point. When when you want to, I love that you said assertive, but, and then you backed off a little bit, Carol, but you're in fact, that's exactly right. And, and we could have a whole nother conversation about the neg, you know, the negative connotations of assertiveness and the gender stuff there. But your point is exactly right. You want to demonstrate your excitement or a, a true interest or passion around a specific piece of knowledge. You want to demonstrate that unique knowledge. And it's a great way, if you have truly absorbed the material and learned it, and Carol, I always love your story that when you decide to go back to work, you started to read the Wall Street Journal cover to cover to, to yeah. get your knowledge back up. <laughs> so <laughs> when you're doing that kind of thing and you go to an event or you go to a networking meeting or you're at a conference, and you share something that really resonated with you, that passion and that excitement comes through. Because you're speaking then, when you're excited about something, you're speaking about it with, with conviction. And you're not backing down. So if you read an article and you read it quickly and you maybe just grasped the, the kind of superficial meaning around it, um, you're not going to be able to speak with that same confidence and that same articulation. Mm -hmm. So find that piece of content, as you described, Carol, that really resonates with you, that you enjoy, that you would like to continue reading. Uh, Valerie Cherneski, who I know has done pod, a few podcasts for you and spoken at your conferences and is one of the Ivy Launch Coach one day shared with me that she had read uh, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, and we both loved that book. And what she shared with me was that she had read that book very quickly. And because that's an area of expertise of hers, it's an, a topic that she loves. So for her to read that book, it, it's a quick read because she just can't get enough of it. Whereas some other books, She's not, it takes her a little bit longer. It sits on her desk for a while. We all have those pile of books. So that you do make a very good point that that's a very natural way to, to share your excitement 
in combination with using strong and powerful language. Right. Um, so any other examples you want to share with us of words not to use, words to use, um, or any anything about having the context of having those conversations? Sure. Any time that you are speaking, and again, this is one-on-one, -on -one, this is in a group setting, this is at a conference, you never want to give your audience a reason not to listen to you. So if you're sitting on a panel and there is someone sitting next to you who has more experience or has written a best-selling book or uh, maybe was recently interviewed on CNN, then you don't need to tell the audience that you're not as versed as that person. That's irrelevant. You are an expert. Carol, it's, it's like we all look at our children's elementary math, the new math. I know how to do <laughs> division, but the way that they do it these days, I can't figure out. I don't need to tell <laughs> my daughter, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, we don't need to verbalize that piece of it. We have our expertise. We need to remind ourselves that we have an expertise. I would say to you, I am a leadership coach. I've worked with over a thousand mid-career professional women, and I work with them on ensuring that they use strong language to have the greatest impact and influence with people around them. I don't need to share with you, Carol, that I'm not the world's leading expert in linguistics, nor have I written a best-selling book about this. I don't need to share that information with my audience. And the reason you might be on that panel is to give that perspective of being a practitioner, advising practitioners, which is a perfect complement to the academic or the subject matter expert who might have written the book. So I, I love this idea of not calling out some sort of relative um, evaluation of yourself um, based on who you're sitting up on the panel with, um, but instead just assuming I'm up here for a reason and giving your perspective. That's exactly right. And I often say to people that I take the published works, I take the, the best books out there and I translate it into a way that it's practical for my clients to use. And perhaps an author isn't interested in that. So there's a combination of those things. But Carol, it's not just sitting up on a panel. You could be networking with someone. You could be at the return to work conference. You could be in an interview. There is no reason to disqualify yourself. Rather, qualify yourself. I have done this. I have worked with this many people or I have 20 years of experience doing X, Y, and Z, that you focus on that. That is great. Uh, great advice, especially for relaunches when we find ourselves in uh, at job search fairs or professional organizations and people are asking us, what do we do or what are we looking for and or what our background is or even in the interview um, and being able to just come out with the statement of that, you know, I have X number of years of experience in technical sales, as opposed to this was ancient history, but way back in, you know, in 1995, I was doing technical sales. Exactly. Exactly. You don't need to remind them of this. And Carol, I always love how you talk about 
address that you address your your break, but that you're really having people focus on. I'm excited about working at this organization, and I love that uh, you, as a company your values are. Or you're talking about the forward. They don't need to know what happened in 1995. They don't need to know what you look like as a soccer mom, which is my favorite picture, Carol, of you <laughs> doing carpool. Um, <laughs> that's not what you want to emphasize, especially if you might only have, if you're at a uh, conference and you're walking around and talking to a bunch of people and you have two or three minutes of their attention, do you really want the two or three minutes focused on what you're not as opposed to this is who I am? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, that's exactly, you're gonna say, um, I took a career break to care for my children and now I can't wait to be, come back to work. In fact, the reason I'm so excited to be here is because in this particular role, I have relevant experience from when I worked at Xerox. We face very similar customer challenges. So again, you're just you're putting it out there and you're talking about the past as if it happened yesterday. And I guess that that's uh, consistent with what you're advising, Julie, in terms of strong language and strong presentation. Well, this is pretty much all we have time for. The, Time flies so quickly. Uh, so we're so thrilled to be talking with Julie Halonga. Before we finally wrap up, Julie, can you give us one piece of advice for our listeners uh, about strong language, even if it's something that you've already said during our conversation today? Sure. The biggest piece of advice I'd give to you is to slow down, be deliberate about the words that you choose, and you can make this change. That's excellent, thank you. And can you also please tell us how people can find out more information about Chinook Executive Solutions? Sure, so I think I need to change my website, but you can go to Chinook, C-H-I-N-O-O-K, executivesolutions.com. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, and I would love to hear from the audience the words that they are stuck have stopped using and the ones that they're going to start using. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for your advice today. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. And thanks for listening to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the CEO and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us. 